it's amazing as I guess as you get older of all the connections we have. I was talking to Brother Murray tonight and in 77 I came to Columbus and was there only for eight months but made lifetime associations. Uh, and we're just talking about all the people we knew. But even those that were not from the East Columbus connection, I think back, not it seemed like that too many years ago, but it's several years ago, I held a meeting at West Point. And a, a man that I had baptized in the Christ, Gary Carter Jr., was there. And I believe during that meeting, Chabelle and I was talking about it, I think I met his dad. And I've known his dad, and here we are, you know, all in one place. A lot of connections over time as you serve the Lord. And I hope this week we've encouraged you, as I've mentioned, and it has been mentioned in the prayers, starting a new congregation is challenging. It's great that you got a lot of folks here, but you know what? When you have, and some for some who have been around each other a lot, you know, there's a period there you got to know each other and build trust in one another and learn to listen to one another and and uh, and you do that without elders and you know most every small group I've been a part didn't have elders and you you've got to find a way to to work through things and it's challenging but it's a great blessing it's humbling. I hope we're talking of those things. We're talking about foundations from which we work our problems out. I feel very strongly about these foundations. But as I said in coming here, I can't fix any issues for you. I can lay foundations. I can plant in water. And then you work together. And I hope one of the big things as an elder, as a shepherd, and working the congregation that I was at, if we can build first trust and respect and work in a way where we can work together I believe we can establish the fruit of the Spirit, fight the works of the flesh. There's not any problems we can't work out. When I talk about working out, working them out in a way where we can please God and where we can work together. Tomorrow night I've got a big lesson on that. I'm going to talk about how to deal with doctrinal differences. But tonight I'm going to be taking the only lesson in this series that is an older outline. But it's an outline dealing with some things I'm very passionate about. And you'll see this tonight in my preaching. It deals with some things that have destroyed people that I love. I'm going to talk about how Satan divides brethren. And I've seen, I'm going to be talking about a specific situation, but this pattern has gone on for centuries. This is Satan's main tool to divide us and destroy us. And I believe it's true. Now as we talk about Brethren, we we shouldn't be surprised at the tactics of Satan. That's part of spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity will help you see some things coming. And you know, as a preacher, I I used to have a lot of ideas how to fix problems, and I realized that I failed to understand the tactics of the evil one. Let me just read a passage with you: James three thirteen through eighteen. We need, whenever we're dealing with situations, we become emotional toward our brethren. When we start having doctrinal issues that are difficult, please read this verse, repeat it, memorize it, understand how Satan can work. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, 
do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. Now there's another wisdom. Keep reading. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing is there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I want to show you tonight Satan's tactics. And I hope in the the process to also show you the Lord's. This is extraordinarily practical. And I wished I had understood it better earlier in my life. And I still have things to learn. When we trust God, we're going to empty ourselves. As I said over and over again, I believe we got the right heart, right spirit. There's not a problem we cannot work out as God's people. But now I'm going to tell you about a real problem that can occur. Maybe you'll not face this in a congregation, but I want to talk about it because it is real. If I drew a hundred mile radius around Auburn, Alabama, the majority of churches in the last five years have experienced something along the line that I'm telling you about. If you want to sit down and talk to me about it, I could. We oftentimes will have, almost every decade, we we would have what I would call certain movements that arise. And the movement would arise and would come into congregations. And and we're going to talk about how how Satan works in a movement like this. There's other ways Satan can do this. But I want to talk about this particular approach. (coughs) Acts 20.30 And from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. I pray that you don't experience this. But sometimes in a congregation there can come individuals that are seeking to develop their own following and lead disciples away. Let's talk about how that happens. One of the interesting things, my brethren, and again, if you don't have experience, if you haven't experienced this, this is hard for you to see. If, you're, if you have some experience, an elder, elder needs to do this. An elder needs to be able to see through things. Not to be unfair. Not to be overly suspicious. I don't want you to be terrified of your brethren. But you need to understand that sometimes people that come to you talking about the grace and love of God are ravening wolves. And, and the, the immature don't always see it. Notice again, we're just going to look at a few verses here. It says, for those, speaking of the people creating division in verse 17, it says, for those who such who do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. We in Auburn have up to 150 students with us. And they are vulnerable. And one of the things we learned, we've had situations like this come up and we were able to effectively deal with it. But sometimes, as you're a young Christian, you're very optimistic. 
you're very idealistic. And we've already talked about local churches. You know, it's not the easy situation that you think. It's a great, great arrangement, but, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, churches have to go through some very difficult times. But here's people can take advantage by projecting, I love you. The God is graceful and good and good statements, but they've got another agenda. Colossians 2.19 talks about some people says, don't let no one cheat your reward, taking delight in false humility. Later on in that verse, it says, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. There are those that can come to you and they just seem on fire for the Lord and they seem so wonderful. I want to tell you, accept that when somebody comes. Don't, don't turn away somebody that's excited and serving the Lord. I want to assume it's genuine, but sometimes it's not. And you know how to tell whether it's genuine. Look at verse 19. This is the test. Here are these people, seem, they seem to be humble, they seem to be excited, they seem, they, they seem outwardly to look great, but here is the test. These people, in the context, were not holding fast to the head. My Tuesday night lesson is crucial in our study. Those who love the Lord talk about authority. They will open their Bible. They will not run from questions. And they will be extraordinarily patient. But you can tell where somebody's trying to hold fast through the head and when there's another agenda. And I want to talk about that other agenda tonight. And again, in the same passage, these people had a certain appearances that they pushed that were not of God. Now, I've talked with some of you this week about relatives that you've had that were very much threatened to be pulled in this book. We have some even in this congregation that could tell you, watching from a distance, of how in this case successfully somebody was kept to be pulled into a movement. But we need to know warning signs. We need to know the difference between how children of God's work and God's people work. Now, there are three pillars. If you leave this lesson tonight and can remember these three pillars, I will be really happy. I want you to remember this. Let me tell you, I'm going to go ahead and make this point early in the lesson. I'm a slow learner. The things that I'm presenting you tonight, I probably it probably didn't come into my mind, even though I've been preaching since 1975. I don't can't do the math anymore on that, but I've been preaching a while. But it's only in the last five years that I finally figured this out. I used to think that all I needed to do in order to help somebody who's gotten into error is simply have the right doctrinal answer. And by the way, the right doctrinal answer is essential. Okay, I'm not minimizing that at all. But do you know what I've learned? Satan with the greatest of ease can defeat doctrine. Can do it Easily. And you know how he does it? He poisons the heart. I want to show you three pillars that even if you take one of them in, it may be enough. But you take all three of them in, it will shut your mind down. And you can't think straight anymore. And that is something, like I say, once I've seen it, I go, wow. 
And this has relevance to how we work together. Let me give you the first pillar. The first pillar, and by the way, if you say, Larry, where did you get these pillars from? I'll never forget the first time I preached this lesson. Right before I preached it, I went to my wife. I said, look, the three pillars are found right here in James 3.14. Bitterness, pride, and and, and, uh, dishonesty. Let's talk about the first one. Bitterness. Well, wow, okay. Bitterness. Let's get this going right. I'm going backwards. Okay, bitterness toward brethren. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> My technology is fighting me here a little bit tonight. Uh, here we go. Okay. Hebrews 12.15 Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble... And by this many become defiled. My brethren, watch out for bitterness. And you know, as you're starting a new congregation, you've got different ideas about doctrine and different ideas about decisions. It's easy to hurt one another. Not to use wisdom. Or even doing your best and somebody is hurt. And I want to tell you something. I, sometimes I've hurt people and I haven't known I've hurt people. But one thing we've got to fight is bitterness. Bitterness is a cancer of the soul. Bitterness, when you talk about cancer, you go, oh, I've got cancer and it just stays there, right? No, cancer grows. Bitterness, if it's allowed to develop, will make you a crazy person. And Satan loves to plant that seed. Um, okay. You look at this word bitterness, it literally means, if you look at the lexicon, it's a plant that produces inedible or poisonous fruit, root that bears bitter fruit, used metaphorically of a person whose influence or actions becomes harmful to a community, one who causes trouble. Figuratively, as a hostile attitude, angry, resentment, animosity. You know, one thing about, you know, by the way, I did a lot of preaching on attitude during this last election season. Of any election in my lifetime, this was the bitterest one. And I was pleading with my brethren, whatever candidate you're supporting, please back off of listening to the rhetoric of politicians. Politicians know this. It is much easier to spread anger and bitterness than love. It's much easier to demonize your opponent and people run and rush to vote because the world's going to end if you don't elect a certain person. And what happens, regardless if the bitterness is being planted from politics or if it's being planted by my brethren, bitterness is a work of, of, of Satan and not of the Lord. When you become bitter, you don't care about being fair. You think our political ads are fair? People are slandered. There's no way of testing it. And we just buy into it. And we're quick to believe a falsehood. You get angry. The person you're angry at, you'd love to hear bad things about them. If it's out of control, Satan's work. Let me tell you, I'll I'll admit this freely. Since, oh, about 1980, probably one of the greatest things that I emphasize in my preaching is bitterness. How bad is bitterness? Let's say there's a brother you can't stand to be around. 
Let's say there's somebody you'd rather not shake their hand. You go around the other room. Let, let's say whether it be a racial prejudicial bitterness or bitterness because of economic things or bitterness because you've had some bad experience. Is bitterness just a little flea bite? Let's turn to Galatians 5. I'll never forget Irvin Lee years ago preaching about Galatians 5 and he made a point of what he called the anger family. I want you to understand Galatians 5 are dealing with things. If Let me just start with um, the end of it where he says, I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What things? Oh, yeah, on this there's adultery. In this there's idolatry. Yes, in the, uh, yeah, that's right. They're in there. But have you looked at the anger family? Let's read. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. Now look at this. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. Selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. And let's read it one more time. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's a reason why we need to stay away from these things. And I don't know why. But in the past, I'm afraid, well, I haven't heard a lot of lessons on this. In the past, I've had brethren who kind of laugh. Yeah, sometimes I'll lose my cool, and they laugh at it as if it's a flea bite. One of the greatest evangelists of Satan can be somebody in a congregation that's got that hair-trigger anger, and they say things about their brethren they ought not, and they walk away as if there's nothing happened. And it's easily spread. We need to hate this. Unstable are particularly vulnerable to this powerful emotion. Is anger a sin? No. Can it become a sin? Yes. You might say, why is anger not a, anger not a sin? First off, Mark 3, 5 says Jesus was angry. And Jesus never sinned. You can have anger. Matter of fact, if you're never angry, something's wrong with you. Okay? And I'm not saying all anger is a sin. We need to have a righteous anger. But now notice this verse. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Nor give place to the devil. Remember the demonic wisdom we talked about earlier? Satan has a game plan to defeat Christians. Now let me tell you when I can tell when somebody has had bitterness planted in them. This particular movement that I'm speaking of, I'd almost call it the anti-Church of Christ movement. Now, when I speak of Church of Christ, understand, I'm not trying to defend a denomination. I'm trying to defend the idea of New Testament Christianity, having the authority and going back to the Bible and staying within Bible teaching and it would be characteristic of the stand we take. But there are those today trying to influence a younger generation. And I can see some 22-year-old saying, I'm so fed up with Churches of Christ. And I'm thinking, what do you know? <laughs> Maybe you've experienced a congregation or two, but how in the world can you broadly describe brethren? That's a big old red flag. It's not logical. Then I've had other people, legalistic brethren are telling lies against me, and, and, and they seem to have hurt. Pillar number two, pride toward brethren. What happens with pride is you begin to think of yourself as greater than others and almost like 
there's no even point of talking to these others that don't see what I see. You see, people that are proud oftentimes will get within their group. They congratulate one another for being open-minded. And look at all these closed-minded brethren. Very quick to write off people as being insincere. You need to be careful. Remember Jesus said justice and mercy are going to be characteristic of God's people. You may have disappointed me, but I'm going to be very slow to call you a liar. I'm going to be very slow to call you legalistic. I'm going to be very slow to somehow judge your heart. And I hope you'll be slow to judge mine. Sometimes I may give those impressions. But see, pride doesn't hesitate to slam their brother. Look at Luke 18 9. Watch out for the Spirit. And the young are especially vulnerable. Those who are idealistic, here somebody comes in, oh yeah, these churches have done this and done that. Look at all these problems. They've been inconsistent and they've been ugly. They've been divisive. And they begin to even rewrite history. And I'm telling you, you know, it's not anything you've seen. It's some things that people say. And you don't have the experience to know about these things. You need to check on it. But if you already get angry and you become proud, you don't have to check on it. Luke 18.9 He spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. My brethren, I hope we are not the kind of group that says, Oh, I'm so thankful for us and we look down at everybody else. I sure hope you don't have in a congregation where there's a few people saying we're the spiritual ones and look at all these dummies in the congregation. That is a bad, bad, bad sign of your heart being infected. And it's easy to get down to this path. Pride needs attention. A false teacher can come in and you may have need of attention and they can give you that attention. But they'll give you that attention at a cost. They want you to cut off others. In 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 1, the Bible says, Now concerning things that offered idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Brethren, I believe in conviction. I believe in standing on the truth. But as I'm working with my brothers and we have a disagreement, I want to be humble in that. And say, look, I believe this is so. I want to listen to you. There's a gentleness. There's a love. And there's a difference when you come in from, I'm the great oracle and I'm coming down from the mountain to give you, ignorant person, the truth. You take it or leave it. You see the difference in that? Attitudes? Pride does great damage. We talked about the Jew and Gentile, remember Monday night? (laughs) The the, the Gentile looked at the Jews as the arrogant know-it-all, and you know what? They were. (coughs) Pride rejoices in in the faults of others. Listen to me carefully. One of the characteristics, and it took me recent years to recognize it, is that once bitterness and pride get in your heart, you can come to live in what I call the land of throwaway people. Years ago, my wife's parents were at a church in Montgomery. And the preacher left and there was controversy and there was a division in one of these house churches before there was called house churches formed in Montgomery. It pulled Yvette's parents into it. And that got my attention. By the way, all the people in this group I knew. 
I had good relationships with them. I've had studies with them. I had never had one cross word with them. And guess what happened? I became an enemy. I had people afraid of me. I had people begin to talk about me. And I had had people that I knew most of my life cut me off without another word. And I was a bad guy. I'm thinking, what happened? When bitterness and pride take over, when the cancer gets to an advanced stage, you will throw away people and relationships that you may have had for years and you won't blink an eye. And my brethren, when you start doing that, you need and I need to look in my heart and make sure that I'm not being motivated by Satan and his wisdom. You know, when you start discussing the faults of brethren, you know, we talked about on uh, Tuesday night on authority. Because brethren are inconsistent, misapply scripture, that's not authority. <laughs> I got to gather authority for what I teach. I, you know, whatever brethren are doing. But you know what other people do? When you get caught up in this, you love to get together and talk about all the evil your brethren have done. I realize sometimes when division does occur, there's a time to look at what's happened and legitimately with love and mercy and righteousness to look at what has happened. But my brethren, if you're going to have a fellowship come together on the basis of the faults of others, you are building on a foundation that will crumble and will crumble in a hurry. Second Corinthians 10.12 For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves, comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. I'll never forget Lloyd Barker years ago giving me some good preacher's advice. Lloyd said that, you know, if you move into a place where the man before you got fired and had a really bad ending, I love the way he put it, don't try to build on another person's ruins. <laughs> I like that. Where if I was going to come in, I'm, you know, I'm not going to talk about that guy before. Whatever he may have done so long, that's not what I'm doing. I want people to build on the Lord and can we move ahead. And I, it's very important here, brethren, as you've come from a very difficult experience that you've had. You want to build on the Lord. Yeah. Let's get that past dealt with. Go behind us. Go forward. Because here's what the Lord wants us to know. 2 Corinthians 10.18 For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. And if I'm bitter toward my brethren and angry toward my brethren and I love to talk about their faults and i got a bunch of people flattering me and we got this group of the almighty group, you know, we know everything, man, you're going down a bad, bad path. And then this next point, and this one really hurts, and I, I, I'm really... Brethren, I, I talk about some people that you know. I'm not going to name names. But there's a young man years ago I got to preach. He preached in this area, worked in other areas very close to me. And I had something happened to him. And you could ask him a question a hundred times, is baptism related to salvation when he was on Facebook and we couldn't answer it. I know Stephen participated in some of that. And that shocked me. 
You know, I disagree with denominationalism, but you know, let me tell you something I appreciate about at least when I came out of the Baptist church, the Baptist church I came out of, they had preachers and men and women of conviction. I disagreed with that conviction, but guess what? If we got to discuss that subject, they'd tell you what they believe and they'd tell you why they believe it, and we'd contrast. This movement is foundationally dishonest. I cannot imagine serving the Lord and wanting to hide what I believe. In Luke chapter 20 and verse 4, here's dishonesty. Here's the kind of dishonesty I'm talking about. The baptism of John wasn't from heaven or men. And they reasoned among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why did you not believe him? But if we say from men... All the people will stone us, for we are persuaded that John was a prophet. Now notice, they had a belief. They had a belief. Jesus asked a question. Guess what? They wanted to weigh the the possible reaction. Look at verse 7. So they answered that they did not know where it was from. That's a lie. Now, my brethren, I recognize there's wisdom in how I teach and when I teach. But don't hide your beliefs. You see, that's what this movement does. They have beliefs they would never put forward because they couldn't defend them. But if they want to get you mad, they want to get you proud, and then privately they connect you to them, and they'll teach you this stuff in private where no one of experience can challenge it. Please be careful. Whether you're on social media, whether you're somewhere else, you can get a group of people, they could be preachers or others, and they will brag on you and boast on you, and they can make somebody appear so radical and inconsistent and whatever, but all you're doing is talking to them. You're not talking to others. I'll tell you what I found out. When I started studying the differences in the brethren, there were some of the most outrageous things they said about others. You know what I did? I found people with those beliefs that talked to them. Here's at one point, people used to criticize brethren who would oppose the uh, social and recreational things and organizational things. They're just like the one-cup brethren. You know what I did? I found me some one-cup brethren to talk to them. I wanted with integrity to talk to both sides of the question. And when you do that, you're going to find, you're going to find that there's more to a question. See, somebody gets you privately. You see, what, what, when, when people do this, they don't want you talking to the other side. They want you to follow them. The reason why I do this is because I want to have, and you have a good and honest heart. If you don't have a good and honest heart, God's Word can't work in your heart. Luke eight fifteen. Men of faith. You know what men of faith do? Men of faith are kind, wise, gentle, and they're bold. Here Paul says, 2 Corinthians 14, 4-2, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience of the sign of God. If you're around Paul, you'd know what he believed. You'd know that. And again, there's other verses, again, for time's sake. You know, uh, let, let, let's move along. We don't want to be deceitful. Now, I preached at a congregation for seven years. They brought in a man to follow me. And I try to stay out of business of another congregation. I really do. I try to move on. But I'll never forget this brother held a meeting up in Athens and there was a brother that didn't name his name. But he said, what do you do when you hear a man preach? And it makes you uneasy. 
you're not quite sure what he's talking about. And he put it this way, that his preaching had veiled subtleties that leave you uneasy after hearing the sermons. And then you go try to talk to the brother. And, and I remember Aubrey Blue talking again about a brother that we may know he, once he got, became dishonest. He says he puts handles on his words. You come to him, did you mean this? And you grab a handle. Oh, I meant this. Somebody in private, what do you mean? He'll grab it the other way and means this. There are people who could be very slippery. I hope you don't see me a bit slippery this week. I, the one thing I want to do is be understood. I hope I've done, I'm that and you walk away knowing. But you see, there's a lot of preaching like that today. There was an interesting quote years ago about people who wanted to become martyrs. There are people who deliberately, by being slippery, they, people ask them questions, Oh, I'm being persecuted! I'm being persecuted! Guess what they do? Their followers become angry. Ah, exactly what they want. Exactly what they want. One more time, my brethren. Let that not be us. In John 18 and verse 20, listen to this. You want to be a follower of Jesus? You want to be a Christian? Here's how you handle things. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and the temple where the Jews always meet, and in secret I have said nothing. People knew what my Lord taught. I want to follow my Lord. Now I want to go a little further and show you how these pillars work in a different way. You get these things planted in your heart, you have a very different attitude towards you have, toward how you hold problems. Do you know what the person who's bitter and wanting to pull people apart do? They look for differences not to solve, but to separate. I believe, let's see if I probably have it a quote in here later, but I'll go ahead and get it now. You know what many politicians have said in history? A crisis is a terrible thing to waste. What does a politician do? Whatever it is, it's my opponent's fault. <laughs> and then they build it up and they build these scarecrows and they get you angry and bitter and they get you fearful and you just follow them. There are people that do that. You see, there are real differences that we do have. We, we Remember, if we talk this week, we talk about applying these things, it's humbling. And there are times I may be inconsistent. You may be inconsistent. There are times as we're struggling to apply the principles that it's difficult. But you see, good-hearted brethren, why do we talk about our problems? We want to solve them. But there are some people in congregations they do not want that problem solved. And let me say about Internet influences, there may be some people feeding you stuff so you can be separated from a group. There's some people that don't want to solve problems and they make blanket statements about brethren. Be careful. Watch your heart. There's my, here's my cloak. In 1 Corinthians 13, here's what I want to do with problems. I want to come together with my brethren. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice with iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Brethren, let's love our brethren. Let me tell you one other thing. I'm jumping off the outline briefly. Do you know that that anger is deceitful? 
Some of the angriest people I know of don't know what they've got in their heart. Did you know that you can, with your tongue, create anger in a hurry? Let me show you how body language and tone of voice makes a difference. People who've studied uh, communication says that communication, only 7% of communication comes in words. That there's a greater element in tone and a greater element in body language. Let me illustrate it to you. Let me say these three words. I'm just going to put them together. I love you. Okay? Let's suppose I did it this way. I love you! Feel warm and fuzzy? Feel good? You know, I, mean, I go, I love you? What are they? I mean, that question, yeah. And so it's very interesting. And sometimes we don't know. I'll admit, in my marriage, I get in trouble often because I, I'm doing body language I don't know I'm doing, and my wife kind of has talked to me. Uh, you know, sometimes maybe I'm concentrating on something else and I come up with anger. But let me talk about as we working out problems. Just be careful. Tone of our voice, or here's something. You know, I see sometimes people respond in assembly, and I know they're sincere, but be careful. You can be dumping anger on somebody else, and you know what happens when you dump anger on somebody else? That other person got to eat it, or they could dump it back. I call it the anger circle. And so again, that's part of dealing with people. Let's let love be be the part. Here, back a few years ago, there were people objecting to putting the name Church of Christ on the sign. I appreciate that discussion. We can talk about it. We can make a decision. I don't care if you put the name on the sign or not. There are some people that are opposed to legalism. Here's another problem. What's legalism? You see, these people trying to create a crisis, they are masters at not defining terms. They make very broad statements. These brothers are inconsistent. Well, tell me where they're inconsistent. It's what I call a joke with no punchline. You have all of these generalities about brethren and no specifics. Let's talk about specifics. And let's sure talk about specifics with me. We'll work on it. But remember, these people are trying to create wedges. And with young people, young people buy it. They fall into it. They don't have the experience. By the way, this group now that we're making those those claims, you know what they're doing now? This church at Birmingham, they now have a full band in their worship. They now their preacher is now recommending articles saying that Old Testament here history is notoriously unreliable. That the writers made up things. They call it recontextualization. Their young people now are saying there's nothing wrong with homosexuality and the practice of it. It didn't start there when they started dividing these brethren, but it's moved a long, long way. And that's what you get when you build on bitterness. There's no principle to it. And the person who leads you can take you just as far as they want. I want to talk about benevolence and caring for the needy. You know, this has been one of the easiest ways to stir motion of almost any issue I know of. Back in the 50s and 60s, it was used. I remember when I started studying the question of what some describe as institutionalism. I had a brother, a well-known brother. This is Gus Nichols. When I stayed with him privately, he says those brethren would spend five dollars for their fertilizer for their lawn, but they would let an orphan baby starve. And I don't want to tell you that's. That's a lie and a slander at many levels. 
I know of no one that let an orphan baby starve. And the point that I made last night, I said, we have a debate on who's the responsibility of the church. It doesn't mean the work doesn't get done. But they didn't care. They were getting people angry. And by the way, I love Gus Nichols. Gus Nichols had good influence on me. I'm not trying to tear him down. I respect so much of what he did. But when I was trying to be equipped to go teach others, he gave me stuff like that. And I was going to find out in a hurry because I was going to talk to the other side. I found out that's not true. But that was what was happening with these brethren. There, there were books that were well-known books. What is it? Francis Chan, Forgotten Love. Is that the name of the book? There were Timothy Keller. There were some modern authors that people were passing around about people trying to go in the inner city and help. And that's wonderful. But you know what they were doing? They weren't just saying that. They were saying these other brethren don't care. If you think like that... Let's look at a few verses, and I want to warn you sternly. Here Jesus talked about the Pharisees. They kind of wanted to know about their benevolent work. It says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. My brethren, please, before you conclude that I don't care for the needy, and the brethren that work with me don't care for the needy, you know one thing you need to understand, you don't know! And what if I, you know, what if I start telling you everything I've done? I can tell you some things I've done, but that's not what I want to do. I want the Lord to know. Amen. And these people who wrote these books, you know all about their work for the needy because they don't just have a trumpet they blow before. They've got a full orchestra. <coughs> be careful. Be wise. I want to help as many people as I can. And the brethren I work work with want to do that. And again, I mean, again, I hate it. My, my, my response would be, well, we've done this, 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 and I could give you a long list. But I'm not sure I'm not being pulled into a trap when I do that. If you've got a need and a work you're passionate about, talk to us about it. Talk to me about it. We'd like to help you, but don't you assume you know what's going on in my life because you're not the one I'm going to be telling. Remember that. Young people are very easily caught up in this. Then the other area is secrecy and whispering. It still angers me. There are young people that I worked with. I still have their faces. As a matter of fact, I think I've got a New American Standard Bible here because I always struggle with names. I wrote all their names down in my Bible one time teaching their Bible class. They're now caught in this movement. Some of them don't tend anywhere. Most of them go in denominations. Be careful when somebody wants to tell you things and they don't want you telling anybody else. First Thessalonians 2 it says, For our exhortation did not come from error or cleanness, nor was it in deceit. I'll never forget a man who's now an elder at North Gardendale. He had a sister that was part of this group in Montgomery that split off, and his sister was one that just suddenly, I'll never forget. She came to her brother and had a tape of Rubel Shelby that basically denied there's a difference in the Old and New Covenants. And he gave the tape to the brother, and you know what she, she said? Don't give it to Larry. <laughs> and I'm going, I hear about that, I'm going, what? 
Well, they would know that I, I, would, I could talk to him about it. Of course, he knew enough about it already. He would refute it. But that's the kind of things these things work with. They want to give you something, but shh, don't tell anybody. Don't buy into that. Don't buy into that. People flatter you. They want to whisper things to you. They want to destroy relationships. Here's a passage I've got to make sure we get to here. Yeah, we're about to get there. I make sure we talk about it. I want to be like the Bereans, where I'll open the mind, open the scriptures, and I'll reason. By the way, I want to be more careful before I conclude you're wrong. I want to take some time with that. And again, talk about privately. Second Peter two, you can read the verse. He talks about people who secretly bring in destructive heresies. Now, here's the verse I want you to remember. Please remember this. I used to tell. Let me tell you something I told our students because we had a real threat. Do you know how we deal with the threat in Auburn? There was a brother there that was caught into a regular email exchange with this brother who eventually started this church at Birmingham who was a leader in it. And, I, and he told me that was going on. And he got angry with me. And he tried to start influencing students to pull them off. And you know what? It, you know how we handled it? We tried to establish the fruit of the Spirit in our members. We tried to make sure that those people who were being influenced had good relationships with brethren, some solid brethren were connected to them, that we did everything we could about people who brought things to our attention to work out our problems. We had a good atmosphere, and when this brother left us, which he inevitably was going to leave us, guess what? He couldn't pull anybody with him. Why? They enjoyed being where we're at. We had an honest, open conversation. I'm a slow learner. I finally come to learn that, you know, the major battle we're oftentimes facing is a battle between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Now look at Galatians 4. Here is Satan's battle plan. And we can beat it. Look at verse 16. This is Paul who converted these brethren. Listen to this. Man, I can identify with this. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Why would anybody that Paul taught eventually view him as an enemy? You know why. We've already described it. Described again in verse 17. They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. I told our students this. I said, if someday you come up with some teaching and you come up with some view and we've been inconsistent and wrong and you believe that, and then suddenly from you talking to us, taking time with me, taking time with your brother, rather than doing that, you just leave us. I'm telling you what, that's going to be a big red flag to tell you probably what you're doing is not of God. Be careful about taking, discarding your brethren, destroying the years of relationships, and you never have a discussion. Here's the verse that I would use. Listen to this verse carefully. I used to wonder how in the... Remember the Gnostics in 1 John? You're familiar with the Gnostics. They believed that, there was, that Jesus did not come into the flesh. And then they also had attitudes about the body. You can do anything you want to in the body. But let's talk about, did Jesus come in the flesh? Who would know the answer to that? An apostle. 
Were there any apostles living? There was John living. How in the world could Christians possibly believe that Jesus didn't come in the flesh with a living apostle? I've already described it to you tonight. Have you ever wondered why 1 John deals more with anger and bitterness as much as it does with the false doctrine? I didn't understand that until this last division came up and the light bulb went on into my mind and I went, Oh, if you plant bitterness, guess what? Pride, guess what? The mind stops working. So listen to this, 1 John 2, 9. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going. Because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Wow. Let me tell you what happens when you build a movement on this. It doesn't last. If you study the house church movement, that's a broad statement. I'm not talking about people meeting the home. I'm talking about a movement that that, that is kind of a, a... Anyway, it's a movement that's got certain philosophies. And I'm not trying to talk about that tonight, but this is the example here. You know what happens when you build and you pull people away on bitterness and pride and you teach them to be dishonest? You're building a movement that will not last. Do you know what the average lifespan of a house church is? Two years. Years ago, there was a Baptist man that I got friends with, and he was in the house church movement. He closed cross denominational lines. And I remember telling him, I read something on one of on the web pages for house churches. I went deep into the thing, and I said, The average house church only lasts two years. He did like this. And he looked up at me and said, You're right. Well, this little house church in Birmingham is still going on. You know what? The majority of the people who came into that are now in mainstream denominations, or they attend nowhere. And you know what the average life, if you go into one of these movements, you know, again, if the, if the group continues, the average span of a person being a member in such a movement is two years. I've described these movements as a halfway house to denominationalism. I believe it's what Peter talks about when he talks about people being brought into bondage when people promise liberty. You can look at those verses. And they love to ridicule brethren. I'm going to tell you one other thing. I may go a few minutes over here, but I tell you, I'm passionate on this. I've talked to you longer than this. One of the things I began to see when young people got caught up in this, as this was before the church divided there, was that whenever there was something on the news about homosexuality, they would take time to ridicule brethren. They wouldn't come out and talk about the Bible. I'll never forget when they finally, the Supreme Court, allowed homosexual marriage to be the law of the land. And my brethren were mourning. They said, this is unwise. This is very sad. But I was waiting. I knew it was coming. And so one of these young people that I knew, matter of fact, he used to be at my class, he posted on his Facebook wall, American Christianity, defend your border, defend biblical marriage, and put biblical marriage in italics. Defend your faith. 
Jesus Christianity. Reach out to the poor. Help the needy. So and some of those say it was not bad. Another brother that same day put this post on his wall. The four words I have come to fear the most. The Bible is clear. You go down this path, it'll take you anywhere. And brethren, it might not have to be a movement for you to go down that path. It can make you a crazy person. You become a bitter, isolated person. Let's be careful. Conclusion. Draw a quick conclusion. How do we defeat Satan's battle plan? Is light. Walk in the light. Men love darkness rather than light, John 3.19 says. Verse 20 says, For everyone practicing evil hates the light, does not come to light, lest his deeds should be exposed. If I want to do right, I'm going to be just, I'm going to be fair, I'm going to come to the Scriptures, and I'm going to be careful in any conclusions I draw about you and your heart. Bible says, But he who does the truth comes to light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they may have been done in God. We need churches to be places where strong faith is built. I'm going to give you one more verse and then the lesson will be yours. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let me... I want to briefly talk about bitterness. Do you recognize how much bitterness can affect a person and affect a home? If you study male homosexuality, I converted a couple of male homosexuals years ago. And one of them was raised in the church, one of them whose parents were in the church. And again, what I'm going to describe to you is not always typical of every male homosexual, but it's in the predominant, the very high percentage. This young man came out of a home where there was anger and bitterness. And I'll never forget after he was converted... The one thing that he wanted more than anything else is to be accepted by his dad. Uncontrolled anger in the home is devastating. Most depression comes out of that. Most, most addictions come out of people who are depressed, who are trying to take care of their addiction. Whenever I'm dealing with somebody with alcoholism, I almost always go back to the home. What kind of home did you come out of? And some of my brethren are that way. Some well-known preachers have been that way. I, I, I will tell you that there are sometimes things going on in the home that are hidden to everybody. But not only false movements do we need to be concerned about it, we need to be concerned about our home and how we, how we interact with our mates and how we interact with our children. Again, I could preach many lessons on this. This is sort of my hobby. But it's really critical. The number one killer of Christians in my experience has been anger and bitterness that they couldn't check and they couldn't get out of their lives. I'll leave you with that. I could say, I could go on and on there. But see, now what have we talked about? We've seen Satan, his work of division, and making you angry, and making you feel terrible, of tearing down relationships, tearing down brethren, isolating yourselves, no longer being able to think. Let's think about the Lord. The Lord says, Come to me, all you that are weak and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. The Lord says, I'm going to give you light. The Lord says, I'll forgive you. The Lord says, I'll help you build relationships. That's what I want. 
in every problem I face, every relationship I have, I want the Lord to be found in it. And brethren, I will tell you, the works of the flesh are an ever-present temptation to any of us. Let's flee to the Lord. Let's serve Him. Let's let the fruit of the Spirit be in our lives. We will end the presentation here. And tonight, I don't, you know, I welcome any questions, but uh, we'll have our question session now. We have any questions? One thing, it's okay. uh, just about tangential to the whole discussion, but okay. the verse in First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter eight. Verse 2, if anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. Mm-hmm. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. The yes. idea that uh, you don't know anything, to what extent is that and how... It's really the idea of an arrogance, really, here. Matter of fact, notice there's a word here, yeah, puffs up. Puffs up is a classic term that Paul used. It's oftentimes used of, a, of, a, uh, of something that's made itself to be bigger than it is. I think there's a species of fish that when a predator comes, it blows itself up, you know, and tries to make you appear like you're something. But, you know, Jesus describes that kind of knowledge as like clouds without rain. <laughs> it doesn't have substance. And here's the idea of knowledge without love. Go to 1 Corinthians 13. What, what, what about knowledge without love? You got the, if you've got the tongues of angels, you're clanging symbol. And so here it's talking about it's not belittling knowledge, but it is saying, be humble. I know some things, and I'll stand on what I know, but you know what? I'm going to always have a tender and careful heart to make sure. I'm, I've got some more things I may need to learn. I pray I'll never become close-minded to the point where I would not consider another's argument. And particularly, even if I have the truth. I'll tell you what, there's some of my brethren that hold the same position I do, and I don't want them in a battle with me. Because <laughs> if they, they've got the wrong spirit, they'll do more damage with the truth. Because well, they're planning bitterness. I don't want to run over somebody and just just, just cream them because, and, and, and force them kind of into sort of a bondage to the truth. No, no, no. There's a proper way to teach this proper attitude. Pride is what's being addressed in this verse. And pride, what's so devastating about pride is those that have it oftentimes don't know they have it. Let me give you a couple of verses and then we'll we'll take another question. Uh, Galatians 6. Galatians 6. Um, If you want to say, well, well, how do we know the definition of pride? Verse 3 is one definition, even though pride is not found in the verse. But it says, But if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You see, pride can't, they can't, they don't want to be seen as they really are. They have to constantly be seeking some praise. That's why, again, people who, who oftentimes people don't feel good about themselves, they substitute with pride. And that's why they're very vulnerable to the false teacher that comes in. Oh, you're so wise. Oh, you see things. Oh, you're better than these brethren you're associated with. And, and see, that, that makes them feel good. But guess what? They become captives to the, the praiser. And let me tell you another indication of pride. And by the way, I thought we were talking about it today. And I, I'll, I'll agree with it. <clears throat> Preachers struggle with pride. 
be in a position of teaching, a lot of people see us. And you know what? One of the, you know what a good indicator if you're struggling with pride is that you've got a good radar in pride for somebody else. Because pride is essentially competitive. <laughs> and you know what? It's not just enough for you to do well, but you kind of want to tear down the other person to make you look good. And I have not always won the battle of pride. I've had some good people in my life, though. My wife is one of them. Takes, takes two by four and takes me out somewhere and kind of pops me a few times. And I need to hear that. You know, I do need to hear that. And I, 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 I you know, you know, and another thing about pride. You know what, what, where pride is most likely to come? And this is a shocking thing. Pride oftentimes will come from good things. When you know the Word of God. When you've been successful and you've reached others. When you've achieved good things. If you don't watch your heart, you can start patting yourself on the back. Hey, this is what I've done. It's the gift of God. Look at 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.6, I think. I may not have this, this verse right, but let's look at it. 2 Timothy 3. No, that's not it. Uh, 1 Timothy 3. Let's go 1 Timothy 3. I'm close here. Yeah, here are qualification of elders. And um, notice verse 6. Why do you want to put a qualified man that's got some experience in the eldership? You know what happens? You have an inexperienced and ungrounded man in the eldership. (coughs) They don't know how to handle criticism. And rather than humbling themselves and says, I've been wrong, they may circle the wagons. Notice how it's put here. Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he falls into the same condemnation as the devil. Ooh. Let's be humble. Let's be careful. When When things are going great is when you're most vulnerable to pride. And I'm talking about great things that God's given you. Okay, sorry. That, that, that. Preaching a little lesson on that, but see, we're talking about attitudes here. These are the things that can make and break a congregation. Did you have a... I just noticed in that First Corinthians 8 passage, you know, that just below there, you know, you get into that related idea like Romans 14. I just wondered if you had some comments on how pride impacts... Or what you've seen as far as pride impact in those things. Yeah, yeah, the what, what, attitudes and towards yeah. those things. Well, notice here, the idea is that the knowledge here, and you're right, is described in this verse, is that we look down on people that don't know as much as we do. And we start becoming inconvenienced because we might give up something because my brethren are too dumb to know better. Now, I'm speaking in the language of pride here. And I've talked about in local congregations, brethren. There are going to be some things we're going to not do. And maybe you think we can do it, but we may not do it because we're trying to think of the conscience of everyone. And and notice here, verse 7, talking about those who have the knowledge, who don't have the knowledge. And here he talks about living for the Lord here. But notice verse 7, However, there is not everyone that there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some with consciousness of the idol unto now eat it as a thing offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. And it says, But food does not commend us to God for neither if we eat are we the better nor if we do not eat are we the worse but beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block 
to those who are weak. And so, and this is in the context here of us bringing a person into a practice that they don't, their conscience would not accept. That's why what we do it in our treasury. And by the way, that's even what we do in our public assembly. We need to be very wise and careful that we be sure without compromising truth, without being coward about what we believe, but that we would want to work in a way to show love for another. And so uh, that's, that's a short version of this. But uh, Comments, questions? Yes. How does apathy work into a lot of these things? Uh, obviously you mentioned a little bit about elders making sure what's going on in the congregation. Yeah. Um, where would that fit in? Let's talk a little bit. I'm going to give you some real life situations, but I'm not going to name names. When you have a leadership, you really want a leadership that will see what's coming. It's like raising your children, by the way. You're talking about leadership. You parents, you're leaders. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You won't know what's going on. You won't be able to see. And I realize we can't micromanage everything, but we kind of want to know. So we can help. Sometimes there's an eldership that they're caught up in fear. We don't want to divide. And you know what? I don't want you to divide either. But there's a difference between a leadership that sees and a leadership that acts on fear. For instance... Let's suppose, again, for you, you got maybe a few single folks here tonight, but if you remember back in those days, what would happen if you were dating a girl and the girl all the time thinking, I think you're seeing somebody else. I think you're, somebody, I think you're going to leave me. I think you're going to leave me. Oh, what did you do? Let me see your cell phone. Let me see your text. I think you're going to leave me. What are you eventually going to do? <laughs> but you know sometimes I see elderships like that we don't want to divide so guess what we're going to limit certain topics that you could preach on we're not going to bring people together to separate the problem but what we're going to do we're going to bury it <laughs> and it doesn't exist it's solved I think I've seen that in force I know I have and it's so sad. Because when it happens and when the division comes, you end up supporting that which you ought not in a person that's going to sell you out in the end. And then you see the congregation burned down and I mean affecting people in all kinds of places. So when you talk about apathy, fear is a bigger one for me. And apathy is where you, I don't know, that one's where you're just existing and you don't want to deal with anything. But most elderships don't deal with problems because of fear. In my experience, I say most. Again, I've a limited experience. But uh, I'll have to tell you as elders, there are things I don't want to face. You remember 9-11? Some of the most moving things I remember from 9-11 is the firemen. Where are they going? Where are the other people going? And if you've got leaders, you need to have leaders that are going to go to the fire. I used to say, we're the bomb squad, we're the firemen, you know. And then oftentimes people don't like what you've done, you get under fire, but that's what leadership's about. You will never regret facing the problems that you have.
whatever reason you ignore them, you're just creating a bigger problem down the line. Questions, comments? All right, tomorrow night I am going to really follow up on this. And, and, and maybe it may even be repetitive, but I don't think it will be. We're going to talk about how to solve doctrinal differences. We're, we're, in many ways, we'll probably end up repeating some of this. It's okay. We'll just bring it all together. We'll bring it all together. And, and our thrust is going to be on attitude and uh, making sure that uh, we have the fruit of the Spirit and we're not, not doing things that uh, will hurt and hinder and above all, to make sure we've got the right kind of heart. Thank you for your attention tonight. I want to extend an invitation to become a Christian, an invitation to be forgiven, an invitation to become part of the kingdom of God. And you know, when you become a Christian, forgiveness is crucial. You, you are so thankful to be forgiven because you're right with God. And let me tell you what happens after you become a Christian. You learn to forgive. If there's some issue you can't get out of your crawl, if there's some things that maybe bitterness is affecting you and you're finding that, I want to tell you something, that's a huge battle. I hope you'll fight that too. You might need help to fight it. But please, if you've got some people around you right now, I didn't mention this, but let me, I'm going to mention one more verse, even though it's in the invitation. Let's mention one more verse I wanted to include, didn't include. I think I got it in tomorrow night's lesson. But let me bring it in now. Psalms 1. Psalms 1. The reason why sometimes we have bitterness in our life is that um, we are uh, struggling. i got to get my glasses on here. Here we go. All right. Psalms 1. Because we got the wrong people around us. Look at Psalms 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the council of the ungodly nor stands in the path of sinners nor sits in the seat of the scornful this isn't the Maronite's lesson but your relationships can affect you having bitterness and the wrong attitude I hope in becoming a part of this congregation becoming part of the Lord's body and then if you choose to become part of this congregation that you'll find people that will help you help you put away that and help you serve the Lord and you know those who do that have abundant life those who don't do it are miserable people and let's pray this is huge this stuff is big stuff that we will always struggle with but our Lord will help us that you be found in the light. And the Lord will help us to heal us. If you're going to help, did you respond in any way? Would you come as we stand and sing?